How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 105 of X Lapsed. And uh, if you stand next to me and you look toward the horizon, you'll see something. You're going to see Exatens. And if you were to look down, you'll see that we're on a path. On a path straight to the horizon here. The path to X of Tens. And, you know, these path two books have been, I don't know, kind of middling, kind of uh, nebulous in how much they're actually informing the mass crossover event that we're about to hit and hit hard. So we'll see how this one goes. We're going to be talking about an issue of X-Force here that picks up from, well, the last issue of X-Force, which was also branded as being part of the path to X of Tens. So without any further ado, let's get right into it here. This is X-Force, Volume 6, Number 12 which had a November 2020 cover date. The story is called The Cerebro Sword. Written by Benjamin Percy with art by Oscar Bazaldois. One of those. Colors, Guru EFX. Letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna. Designs are Tom Muller. Head of X is Hickman. Edits, Robinson, Amaro, White, Basso, Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99. And this issue went on sale 9-9 of 2020. Now we pick up... Basically right where we left off here, Mikhail Rasputin, Colossus and Magic's brother, he's got the Cerebro Sword, and also a dying Quentin choir laying at his feet, because Quentin dies all the time. Quentin, still alive now, he asks why Mikhail would choose his country, Russia, over his people, the mutants. To which Mikhail proclaims that he is Russia. Okay, then. He decides to drag Quentin's just-about-to-die body along with him to wherever he's going, and uh, we'll find out in just a little bit. First, let's do a roll call. Beast, Sage, Cecilia Reyes, who I don't think we see in this issue, Colossus, Domino, Kid Omega, and Mikhail Rasputin. From here, a double-page spread of creds, then back to comics. And we're at the point with Beast and Sage. Sage had been KO'd or something, I can't remember, in the last issue. Whatever the case, she's a bit out of it. And so Beast hands over this, like, gross, organic Krakoan helmet to help her, you know, keep her head straight. Kind of like that thing that Domino has, that gun that adapts to whatever. It's like that weird, organic nastiness. So Sage puts the helmet on, does her thing, and whatever whatever it is that her thing is. And she's quickly able to deduce the source of this latest threat. And it's Mikhail. Duh. From here, we shift scenes back to the uh, Court of Owls. It's been a while since we've seen these geeks. Uh, this is, of course, if you're listening, you know this is Zeno or Zeno. Uh, they're the ones behind making all those domino dupes earlier in this very volume. They're having their normal blustery meeting, which is interrupted by the arrival of Mikhail Rasputin. Uh, Mikhail and one of the heavies of Zeno get into it right away. 
jump back to Krakoa, where Beast and Black Tom are doing a little bit of, I don't know, ethnic profiling. You see, Mikhail Rasputin is Russian, right? But he's not the only Russian mutant that they know, so uh, it's time to chat some more of them up. Starting with Omega Red, who... Um, I thought he was busy hanging out with Dracula or something. I mean, in fairness, it's not as though Ben Percy is writing both of those books. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's right, he is. Anyway, Black Tom, Black Tom's some Krakoan vines into tangling up poor innocent Arcady. And I suppose we're heading for an inquisition of sorts. But first, back to Zeno, Zeno, whatever. Mikhail and the Heavy keep fighting, and he makes it clear to them that he sees Krakoa as an enemy. And so, they've got that in common. After some more tussling, Mikhail draws the Cerebro sword and holds it at the Xeno leader's throat. His name escapes me right now, and uh, frankly, he's not interesting enough to do a whole lot of research on, so we'll just call him the Xeno leader for the moment. We shift scenes over to the Savage Land. There we see Colossus and his new friend Kayla. They're talking about farming and whatnot, and uh, boredom, and how Colossus thinks that boredom... You know, when his li- when a life is as chaotic as his normally is, boredom is something of a relief, something to look forward to, something to aspire towards. Well, suddenly, the boredom is shattered because Beast arrives, also the rest of X-Force. Now, they're here to interrogate Colossus about his potential ties to Russia and his brother Mikhail, who apparently are one and the same. Makes me wonder, are they going to round up magic, too? I mean, probably not, since she's featured in about 80% of these Dawn of X books. Not that we're all that worried about maintaining the linear integrity of the Shared X universe at this point, but what are you going to do? Now, Colossus appears to be going yeah, willingly. He's fine with it. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. Well, I'll answer some questions. But his new friend Kayla ain't having it. She uses her hydro powers to blast X-Force until Peter asks her to stand down. Oh, and Domino uh, draws her pistol and holds it up to Kayla's forehead. Which, uh, tell you what, I mean, you know, when you think about things like being heroic, sometimes you don't know it till you see it, right? And that's, you know, holding a pistol up to an unarmed person's head. Nothing screams hero like that, right? Now, Beast asks, as a favor to him, if Peter would mind uh, wearing handcuffs back to Krakoa. Yeah, really, he wants Peter cuffed as they walk through the gateway here. Peter's fine with it. He is like, he seems completely defeated, dejected. He just doesn't appear to care about a whole lot at the moment. Now, he's walked through the gateway, and then upon arrival on Krakoa, he is faced with like several dozen mutants, including Outlaw from Agent X. Somebody in the X office really seems to have, a f- have fond memories of Agent friggin' X. And I mean, it wasn't that good. From here, an info page. And it's a long one, taken from Beast's logbook. Something about traitors that uh, I couldn't get through without glazing over. These are very long. Back to comics. And Wolverine, who was part of this mission, is really ticked off at the show that Beast is putting on here, right? He's basically trotting their friend Peter out in front of all these mutants. You know, guilty until proven innocent at this point. Wolverine rightly socks Beast in the gut and then chases the audience away with his claws drawn. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Shift scenes over to Zeno. Mikhail and the big bad chat for a bit as they walk through the body shop thing. It's You remember what happened with Domino, right? What we got here is a bunch of fluid-filled canisters, each containing a body. Nothing we haven't seen before. 
Now, Mikkel knows what Zeno was able to do with just a little bit of Domino, and he wonders what they might be able to accomplish if they could do the same thing with Kid Omega. And, uh, I mean, shouldn't Zeno, like, already want to do that sort of thing? Like, like they shouldn't need this sort of prompting, is what I'm trying to say. Are they really this stupid? They never thought, like, like Zeno standing there, hey, you know, if duping Domino worked so well, and she's just, a, like, a, an assassin with luck powers, why not try doing the same thing with an Omega-level mutant? Because, as luck would have it, there just so happens to be an Omega-level mutant who dies every 15 minutes, right? Oh, well. Let's jump back to Krakoa for the wrap-up. Now, Wolverine has invited Jean Grey to the point to ask her for some help. Now, even though she quit X-Force, they still need her for this very special exercise. They need her to try and get into the heads of Colossus and Omega Red to see what they know. Maybe they'll find out about that pesky Dracula while she's in there. But that's it for comics. We do have another very long info page, which is signed in Russian, and I'm bored with this, so I'm not going to read it. That is X-Force number 12. Next episode, it's one of our X of Tens part zeros, a prelude. It's Excalibur number 12. But let's talk about uh, well, what we got here, huh? I gotta say, this was pretty weak. I mean, stuff happened, right? But was it the kind of stuff we really want to see happen? Do we want to see Beast profiling Russian characters to round up and question? Especially when we're including one of his longest tenured teammates, and I would figure his one of his closest friends in the team. Is that really where we are now? And, like, nobody thinks to second-guess Beast's methods here. Now, I didn't go through specific names for that group shot. You know, when they were walked back through from the Savage Land to Krakoa, I said there were dozens of mutants there. Let's parse that a little bit. Let's look at that group shot here. If uh, if you got it handy, great. If not, I'll walk you through it. Now, the group of Krakoans that Beast assembled in order to frog-march Colossus in front of included Storm, Banshee, Angel, Jubilee, Nightcrawler. You mean to tell me that none of these characters would have said, you know, Hey, Hank, this is uncool. Maybe don't do this. Also, you mean to tell me that Wolverine, with his friggin' claws out, chases this group of looky-loos away? Which, again, features some of his closest friends in Storm, Nightcrawler, and Juba friggin' Lee. Who are these characters? Did Mark Miller ghostwrite this issue? Uh, Not a good look. And unfortunately for this outing, not a good book. Part of me wonders if this is like a none-too-subtle commentary on the CIA, considering... Lest we forget that X-Force is the mutant CIA, right? Now, do we even need to talk about how Omega Red is being prominently featured in two books during the same month, written by the same guy, and serving two very different purposes? Do we need to? Probably not, but we will. I mean, yeah, we can stick that Wolverine vampire story anywhere to make it fit, right? I mean, it's just a story. It could go wherever the hell we want it to go. But that doesn't excuse the laziness or the lack of editorial direction for using the same villain in two different books at the same time in the real world here. I mean, these are both books that are coming out within weeks of each other or days of each other. Did the Omega Red Dracula story have to happen now? 
probably not, considering that the entire Wolverine book is basically one-off filler stories stretched out to as many issues as they can decompress them into. What are the editors even doing here? I don't get it. How about we talk about Domino pressing her pistol up to Kayla's head? Yeah, that seems in character, doesn't it? You know, some of these scenes feel like they're written by an 11-year-old who just discovered Watchmen and totally missed the point of it. Heroes shouldn't be pressing their guns into people's heads as a first resort, especially when they're unharmed. And I mean, this is just a young, lovesick mutant girl who wants the best for Colossus here, and we're gonna we're gonna jam a gun into her head. Sure, I mean it gives you an edgy few panels because that's very important, but at the cost of characterization and emotional investment. My takeaways upon seeing the scene aren't, wow, Domino's a badass, which I feel like. They were supposed to be. They're more, wow, Domino's an asshole. Because at least in this scene, she is. I don't know what they're thinking with this stuff. Is the mission statement of this book, or this issue in particular, to make every character that we love as as awful as possible? Do they want us to not care about these characters? Is, is this more evidence that there's some tweaking going on behind the scenes here? I just don't understand it because it's... I'm coming away from this issue not liking anybody. And uh, I don't know if that's what you should be aspiring towards uh, when you're putting out a team book. To make every single character someone you don't care about. Someone you're not invested in. I really just don't know. Um, Not a big fan of this one, which is a shame because... uh, I mean, X-Force has been hit or miss with me personally since, since Jump Street. The thing of it is, it's not just like a mild hit-or-miss hit book. It's like either a home run or this. You know, we get some really, really solid issues of this book, but then when they're not that great, in my opinion, of course, they're aggressively not great. And uh, I think that's kind of what we're, where we're at for this issue here, at least for me personally. And I mean, your mileage may vary, and hopefully, for your sake, it does. But... Uh, I didn't come away with this from this one all that pleased. Um, part of me is hoping that I just misread a lot of this. But if it is what it appears to be, it's not a good look. It's not a good look, and it's a hard it's a hard thing to walk back, right? If we're if Beast really is rounding up people for questioning. I mean what what does that even say? Uh, it's I don't know if this is just a role reversal with the you know things that the mutants had to deal with over the years. Now it's now they're evoking it on themselves. It's I don't know. Just uh, not a fan of this issue. Not a fan of this issue. And uh, that's all I got to say about it. So uh, let's head into the mailbag here before we cut out. Uh, we're gonna hear from Damien first. He's talking about Cable Number Three. He says, I have very little to say about this issue because it was fun. What more can you say? I do slightly worry that Jerry Duggan is having so much fun in the margins that we can lose sight of the overall picture. When the baby turned up at the end, I'd forgotten that that story started with a kidnap. But it's fun nonetheless. And you're right. You're right. I I also forgot that we were dealing with... Uh, what is her... I never remember her name. I know it's Pauly and... Uh, Stinger. I think it's Stinger. Yeah, their child was kidnapped by the Order of X, folks. And I I totally spaced it, too. But I was having so much fun with everything else, I didn't even realize it. But uh, really fun issue. You're right. 
dead on. This is a fun issue, and part of me wonders if maybe the COVID hiatus had something to do with um, the story kind of going the way it's going here. Because we had to get to Exit 10s, of course, so we kind of have to get the Space Knight stuff out of the way. And we see, as we get further into the series here with uh, Issue 4... The baby, uh, the baby subplot, or the baby plot, has become a subplot. Kind of just something that's ticking away in the background while everything else goes on ahead of it. But you're right, there is a risk there of, uh, as you put it, having having too much fun in the margins. But when the fun is, is this much fun, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Damien continues, It was really interesting to hear you contrast my feedback on Marauders number 11 with Jesse's. Everything that Jesse said is correct. Kitty should have had a Jewish funeral, and it should have been attended by more people. There is no doubt. What is evident from Marauders 12 is that far more people attend Kitty's resurrection than her funeral. This could, in part, answer some of Jesse's gripes. The Krakoans clearly see resurrection as more important than death. Maybe we could understand people who have died and been resurrected not wanting to acknowledge death, but it's still weird that so few turned up. Still loving your podcast? Thanks again for all your hard work. Well, thank you so much. And uh, talking about Marauders number 11 here, a very, very interesting issue. Like, the more I think about it and the more I I go through feedback on that issue, it's, uh, I wasn't expecting it to be quite as divisive. And I also, I I was kind of expecting it just to be an issue that came and went, right? Because it starts with the funeral and it ends with Kitty coming back to life. It felt like a, a bridging sort of an issue where it's like, okay, we have some stuff we got to get done that we haven't gotten done yet, so let's get it done all right here. I figured it was just a bridging issue. Then again, I also thought Kitty was going to play a much bigger role in X of Tens, and I thought this was like, hey, we got to get we got to get her back to life. We got to do this. But uh, I didn't think it was going to be something that we'd actually stop and ponder on, and it's turned out to be one of the more discussed uh, issues that we've covered here. And I, and I love it for that. I love it for that because there are so many different points of view to take with it. As far as Marauders number 12 is concerned, well, if you're listening to these in order, by now you've probably heard my thoughts on Marauders number 12 and uh, how I really didn't so much care for it. It wasn't quite what I was expecting it to be, and it kind of broke my heart not to like it as much as I felt I I would have going in. But you are also right. The Krakoans do see resurrection as a as more, I don't know, ceremonial is the word, but as something to acknowledge uh, rather than death, because death is temporary in this world, and... Uh, and I guess it's just kind of a bummer. Or, you know, the Agent X showed up, though, so at least there was that. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us, Damien. Uh, next up, we've got Jody Yarden, who's talking about X-Factor number three. He says, here's a comment on X-Factor number three. Too many times I mean to comment and then forget, because I usually listen at work. Well, don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. J- Jody continues. It wasn't until this very issue that I realized that my enjoyment of Mojo in the Mojoverse, shocking, I know, wasn't Mojo. It was different elements surrounding him. Longshot and Dazzler, even the X-Babies, them I like. Mojo? He sucks, and he sucks bad. And so does this story. (laughs) Hear, hear. (laughs) While I didn't didn't hate X-Factor number three quite as much as I did X-Factor number two... It's still very much a story that isn't for me. 
And we've talked about Mojo. Jody and I have talked about Mojo before in the Mojo verse, uh, talking about like that uh, two-part story right before Jim Lee left in 1992 or 1991, um, where where the the X Men go to Mojo the Mojo verse, and we find out Dazzler is pregnant, maybe, and they think maybe it's Shatterstar, but it's it's not. It's even more complicated than that, in fact. But uh, but we've talked about that before, and uh, Mojo. Mojo's a weird character. Mojo is, I feel like he's a character that you either absolutely love or you absolutely hate. There's very little in between with, with a character like Mojo. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he kind of does, he does kind of suck. And, uh, yeah, the story does as well. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts there, Jody. Next up, our friend Evan Bevins with a theory. Now, he says... Back listening to the feedback from Empire X-Men number one, and I remembered another hot, well, lukewarm take that I somehow managed not to share with the group. But I won't deprive you any longer. Please note the sarcasm. I have no illusions here, but I do enjoy a forum to toss ideas out in. On the, in- on the inconsistency with X-23 and X-Men number five, sure, X-Factor number one says that the five need proof of death before they'll resurrect anyone, but does that apply if Professor X says he needs another X-23 for a special mission? If memory serves, and it seldom does, Sync was sent along for some redundancy. Sorry if that term gives you Empire flashbacks. Uh, If Charles thought X-23 in Wolverine mindset was the best mutant for the job, he didn't want to wait for her to get out of her Fallen Angels Quanon is my Yoda funk. He could just make a new one. That extent of manipulation hasn't been so overt in anything I've read so far, but we've all been wondering exactly how far it goes. Another interesting theory. Another interesting theory here. We talked a bit about how issue five of X-Men, where we have, uh, what is it, Darwin, Sink, and X-23 going into the vault, where the children of the vault are, and they disappear. And we don't know if they live or die, but... That story ignores everything that happened throughout the entire run of Fallen Angels, where X-23 was very much, I don't want to say a sidekick to Quanon, but she joined up with Quanon to shed her Wolverine Jr. sort of vibe, right? She didn't want to be in Wolverine's shadow anymore. She wanted to be her own person. And here we are in X-Men Volume 5, Number 5, and she's back in her Wolverine duds. Is it the same character? Maybe not. Maybe Xavier did need a more Wolverine-y version instead of an emo Quanani version of X-23. We don't know. We don't know. And we don't know how deep the uh, the vaults under Krakoa go. <laughs> there might be different versions of different characters down there for all we know. I, and something tells me, I mean... Maybe not exactly this, but when we do get the reveal, I think it's going to just knock our socks off here. I don't know if it's going to be this, but it's going to be something. It's going to be something. I don't think it's going to be a whimper. I think it's going to be a boom, and uh, I don't know if we're going to be ready for it. But that is very, very interesting here. And to play on that a little bit more here, we've recently covered uh, the first arc of Hellions, right? Where Madeline Pryor... Goes through her existential crisis She doesn't know if she exists She just wants to be remembered And as she lay dying She just asks that Alex Havoc remembers her Remembers that she was real Remembers that she existed And then we jump ahead a few pages And we're at uh, we're back in Krakoa 
and the Quiet Council have to pass a ruling on whether or not they're going to resurrect the Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor, and they decide not to, because she's a clone and a complication. We haven't seen X-23 die yet, but if she does, is she going to be given that same sort of treatment as Madeline Pryor? She is a clone, right? She's she's made of Wolverine genes, right? Is she a redundancy? Is she a an inconvenience? Or will they uh, will they be okay with that? And if so, because I mean everybody's going to die in this damn book. If that does happen, does Alex have a right to come back and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa? You'll let Madeline die. You're not going to bring her back, but we'll bring back X twenty three. I think that could be a very interesting story. Should it? You know, actually play out that way But not saying it will, not saying it won't But it's definitely interesting food for thought At least at least in my opinion But thank you so much for sharing that hot take with us, Evan They're always so much fun to read And they're always so much fun to think about and ponder So thank you uh, We're going to wrap up with a message from Our friend Jesse DeYoung Who I've been calling DeJong Since like day one So I apologize for mispronouncing your name Every single time I could barely pronounce my own name, so I apologize. Now, Jesse is talking about Marauders number 12. And he says, I've cooled off since issue 11, where I wanted to burn the comic. In Marauders number 12, for about half an issue, I felt like we had our kitty back. She looked and acted like Kitty Pride. Kurt gave her a necklace back. I was thrilled with the issue. Then she drank from a bottle, slapped on her pirate duds, and got knuckle tats again. I think I'm okay with where Kate is at. I don't like it, but I'm okay with it. This is the direction this creative team wants her to go, and eventually things will go back to the way they were. It's comics anyway, and if you can bet on anything, it's that things always go back to where they were. And yes, you're right. I'm, I'm sure the next head of X, or plot master of X, or whatever they're going to call the next the next uh, curator of these uh, of this family of books will probably overcorrect, if, if overcorrect's even the right way to put it here, but they'll, they'll swing the pendulum back, and we'll get something... Far more traditional, because I don't think we can get much less traditional than what we're getting now. Uh, Jesse continues. Is this the first time we've seen Kitty kiss another woman? I know it's been floated for decades now that Kitty was gay, but this may be the first real time she's acted on it so blatantly. Not sure what to think about her seeing Rachel and Ileana at the party and her reactions to them both. Will there be a Twilight slash Hunger Games choice to be, to be made here? Or is she going to meet another woman named Patricia, since that name, Pete Peter, is what she's into as well? She really seemed to be affected when she turned back and saw Rachel was gone. And you know, I, I don't know that I've ever heard that rumor. Um, I mean, being on Usenet back in the 90s, you'd hear rumors about a lot of different mutants. You know, Iceman was a big one back then, Shatterstar and Richter. Don't know that I've ever heard Kitty's name bandied about, at least back then. Um, probably because she was uh, with Pete Wisdom at the time. And uh, and I think anything that uh, Warren Ellis put to paper was considered the uh, the holiest of Gospels. So no one was going to speak out against that. But uh, I don't remember that, and I don't know where this might be headed. That is, of course, if it's headed anywhere at all. Jesse continues. Again, the first half of this book with the party and the horseback riding was a breath of fresh air. I didn't even mind the kiss with the tattoo artist at the end. I just don't like Kate being the baddest mother shut-your-mouth pirate around. <laughs> but it feels like that's how every uh, mutant in Krakoa feels about themselves right now. 
This was an improvement over the last issue, even if she still is getting tats while wearing the Star of David. And, you know, that actually reminds me that I wanted to do a little bit of uh, research here. And I I try to stay away from comics commentary sites because I, I, I feel like they, they get pretty precious. But I did want to look into seeing if anyone had any sort of... Uh, had any sort of thoughts or problems with uh, Kitty getting tattooed here for the reasons that we've covered throughout this run so far. I haven't actually done the research. I, I keep meaning to, and eventually I will, I, I hope. But I haven't done it yet, but I am interested in seeing more reactions to this. Uh, I haven't actually read anything from, like, the Jewish point of view, just to see where people are, where people are on this. And I am very, very interested. Now, Jesse wraps up with... So until we get bat-lapsed, make mine x-lapsed. Just kidding, but I would still love a bat-lapsed. And, uh, well, there might be, there might be discussions. There might be, uh, discussions going on right as we speak about, uh, bat-lapsed. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know me, I like spreading myself just as thin as I can. Um, if and when bat-lapsed does happen, it won't be daily. I can tell you that much, but, uh... I'm interested. I am interested in catching up with, uh... Because it's funny, because I actually stopped reading the Batman books around the same time I stopped reading the X-Men books. The only difference is I kept buying all of the Bat books. Or both of the Bat books, I should say. Batman and Detective. Because, for some reason... I, I, I mean, I, I guess I can hazard a guess as to some of the reasons, but, uh... For some reason, the Batman books ever since uh, 2011 or so, they're pretty spendy if you don't get them right off the racks. Those go up in price, those go up in value, I don't know why. <laughs> they're not like they're any less plentiful, and it seems like a we're, we're, we're pumping air into a bubble here with these Bat books. But I never wanted to be in a position where I would have to spend, you know, upwards of $10 for an issue of Batman, right? And so... I figure it's easier just to keep buying the things, even if uh, I don't have much interest in reading them at that moment. I always come back. That's my problem. I, I'll, I'll stay away for a little while, but I always come back. And I'm sure at some point I'll want to binge all the Bat books that I've missed since, you know, since Rebirth, right? And Bat Lapsed might just be the way that we get that done. But uh, we'll put a pin in that, because... <laughs> uh, who knows if it'll happen? It's just uh, in the preliminary stages right now. I'd have to figure out all sorts of artwork and all sorts of stuff for that. So it's there. It's just not here yet. But uh, that'll do it for the mailbag here. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so a couple different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you can leave a comment on chrisoninfiniteearths.com, where you can also find blog posts and show notes. We're very, very close to five years of daily posts over at Chris's on Infinite Earth, so I'm not sure if I'm going to do anything special for that, but, uh, hey, it's there. Uh, you can also check out xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, and you can come to our little Facebook group and talk about all the stuff, any stuff, everything. It's 90s X-Men on Facebook. You can also check out the Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's where we'll leave it for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for hanging out with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you all again real soon. See ya. No more